Hello, I'm Winifred Robinson. In this recording, you'll hear Alex Barber, the author of Book 3, ask Angela Hobbs, Associate Professor of Philosophy and Senior Fellow in the Public Understanding of Philosophy at the University of Warwick, about Glaucon's challenge to Socrates in Plato's Republic. Angie, in the Republic, Glaucon and Socrates are discussing what Glaucon calls the common view, or the received view of justice. Can you say what the view is and whether it really was a common or popular view? Okay, so what Glaucon is doing here is he's using a a threefold classification of, of goods and he says things can be good in one of three ways. Either they are good solely for their consequences or they can be good intrinsically, they're good for themselves or they can be good both in themselves and for their consequences. And he says the common view of justice is that it's only good for its consequences in terms of the reputation it can give you and the kind of offices and various benefits in life that can accrue from having a good reputation. But there is nothing intrinsically good about justice. And the way he argues for this is to look at what he claims is the common view of the origin of justice. And he says that uh, it's actually in nature, it's good to be able to harm others so long as you don't suffer uh, anything in return. But it's bad to be harmed and have no form of redress. Uh, But it's worse to be harmed than it is to be able to harm others. And if there was just a free-for-all with no moral code, no laws, you would end up getting very badly hurt and you wouldn't be able to do anything about it. So humans agree. They have a kind of social compact and they agree a code and a system of laws which, which roughly say, I won't harm you if you don't harm me. And they call this system of laws justice. So justice ends up being a kind of compromise. Nobody really wants it. It doesn't really satisfy anybody's deepest desire, but they think it's the best that they can hope for uh, in the situation. And in terms of whether it was a popular view, yes, it feeds into a, a huge debate that was going on in Greece at this time about a debate between the respective roles of nature and culture or nature and the laws. And a number of thinkers, um, the sophist Antiphon was one, was saying there's really disobey the law whenever you can get away with it. It's in your natural interest to disobey the laws if nobody is watching. So there is an enormous debate going on about whether justice has any real intrinsic benefit for you. To the modern ear, to say that it's good to be unjust, to harm others, sounds a very strange claim. Is the word good being used in a different way? It is strange, isn't it? I think what he means is it's good to be able to satisfy whatever your desires happen to be uh, by whatever is the quickest means, be that theft or be that taking somebody else's wife, committing adultery, even murdering. I I don't read the argument as sort of saying, as a particularly sadistic one, as saying that everybody really enjoys hurting other people. I read the argument as saying that we have a certain set of desires, which I'm sure we'll we'll come on to, and that the way to satisfy these desires by is to to do whatever you want with other people. Um, And if you need to harm them, then so be it. Does anybody hold this view today, do you think? Oh, I I think plenty of people think that uh, we would only, you know, we only obey the law because we think we can get sort of something out of it and we're going to get punished if we don't. Um, I think it is a pretty common view, yes. So that's the common view. And Glaucon gives voice to it and then tries to defend it. And he does so in part by introducing this example of the mythical 
Gyges, the shepherd who finds the magical invisible-making ring. How does that example serve to enable Glaucon to defend the common view? Well, what he's doing is trying to show that if we all became invisible, there would be no difference between the behaviour of the supposedly just, good, moral person and the unjust person. And what happens is this poor shepherd, Gyges, during an earthquake, discovers this ring and he puts it on and he finds that if he swivels it around, he becomes invisible. And he thinks this is extraordinary. So off he goes to the court of Lydia, uh, becomes invisible when he's entered the court, and uses this cloak and visibility to seduce the queen. He marries her, kills the king, becomes king of Lydia. And what uh, Glaucon is saying is that actually... All this talk of justice is really so much hypocritical cant that actually underneath we all have these very basic desires for money and power and we have certain lusts and if nobody's going to punish us then we're all going to behave in the same way. It's a pretty cynical view. Glaucon seems to go a bit further than saying that that's how we would behave or how humans are built to behave. He seems to be claiming also that we'd be foolish to do otherwise. He's speaking for the common person and he thinks uh, that the common person will just take it for granted that we have certain interests which are very narrowly located in the satisfaction of certain physical desires and the acquisition of money and power and that you don't really need to defend these claims. This is just what we all are like and of course we would all satisfy these desires if we could and why would we, we do otherwise? Of course Socrates is going to come in and really examine this notion of self-interest and say, well, wait a minute here. Is this notion of the self really an accurate one? And he offers a variety of responses, a variety of different answers. Is there any common theme to the different responses to Glaucon that Socrates gives? Oh, I think so. As we were just saying, I think they all focus on this notion of what self-interest really is and the claim that, in fact... Glaucon has been working with a very narrow, rather arid uh, view of self-interest based on a very thin notion of the self and that Socrates is going to argue that Glaucon has misunderstood the nature of human happiness because he's misunderstood the nature of human psychology and that what we have to do is really explore the, the complex nature of the human psyche and what it's going to take to satisfy its different aspects. So the idea is that Socrates is going to try and show that acting justly will make you happier or absolutely he will be in your interests totally he, I, I, he's going to argue that in fact uh, acting morally and justly and being happy are in fact the same the same psychic order the same inner state of your your soul your psyche okay let's look in a little more detail at some of the arguments the specific arguments that he gives and in particular i want to look at the argument from superior judgment and the argument from mental health Let's start with the argument from superior judgment. In the background to both these arguments, we've got the the crucial uh, theory of the tripartite psyche or tripartite soul. So what has happened by this stage is that Socrates has claimed that the human psyche has three basic aspects. There's its rational aspect devoted to the pursuits of truth and reality. There is a spirited aspect of the psyche which loves honour and respect and success and 
accounting for something in the world. And then there's your appetitive faculty, which is devoted to the physical pleasures of sex and food and drink and the acquisition of the money needed to satisfy them. And so we've got these three parts of the psyche. They all have their own objects of desire. And depending on which part of your psyche is in control in you, you will be a different kind of person and be living a different kind of life and will have a different kind of view of what constitutes the good life. And how does that feed into the argument from superiority? Well, what Socrates says here is that, yes, of course, each kind of person with their psyche devoted to these different sets of pleasures thinks their own kind of pleasures are best and their own way of life is best. But the view of the philosopher in this instance, whose life is devoted to truth and reality, um, his view, or indeed her view, uh, is the superior view because the, the views of the philosopher are supported by experience and intellect and training and rational argument. And those three things will enable the philosopher's judgment about which way of life is the best life to be the best judgment. Only the philosopher has experience of all three kinds of pleasure, has the the training and the intellect needed to assess that experience. So it's a kind of doctor knows best, only philosophers know best. Indeed, indeed. You might think there's some uh, special pleading going on here. How about the argument from mental health? Well, we've we've seen that the psyche is divided into these three different aspects devoted to three different kinds of uh, objects of desire. So the appetitive aspect devoted to physical pleasures and money, the spirited aspect devoted to honour and success, and the rational aspect devoted to truth and reality. And Socrates says, in a, perhaps the, one of the key arguments in the whole republic, is that your psyche will only be in a state of good order if your reason is in control and telling the other two parts what to do, and the other two parts harmoniously agree to be ruled by reason because they accept that reason's dictates will be for the good of the whole psyche. And so the spirited aspect is going to devote its energies to supporting what reason says and that the appetitive aspects are basically going to do what they're told and only satisfy the necessary physical desires needed for survival and reproduction and not go off on a tangent satisfying unnecessary desires. If your psyche is in that state of reason being in control, Socrates says you will be in a state of mental health. Uh, or a state of psychic health. And he says it is at least as important to possess psychic health as it is to possess bodily health. And how could anybody disagree with that? And indeed, in fact, Glaucon, right at the beginning of his challenge, had actually said that health is one of those goods which are both good in themselves and good for their consequences. It's one of the top class of goods. So Glaucon can't really disagree with this. And Socrates says... Therefore, this state of rational, harmonious psychic order is both the state of justice. So this state is now what he calls justice. uh, And it's also your state of happiness. So justice and happiness are going to be the same thing. So there can be no question about tensions and conflicts between the two. They are the same psychic order. 
And this order is also a beautiful order. Um, so he also brings in this notion of kind of musical harmony and proportion here. So really all the Greek values are concentrated in this one inner state of your soul. I think I can see why being in a harmonious psychic state might make one better off or happier, but I'm not seeing why it would lead to one's acting justly. I mean, surely somebody who's purely rational could nevertheless act extremely unjustly, could steal from others to get something that they want, or could poison troublesome people if they could get away with it, that is. Well, that's a really good question. And it's one of the challenges that's most often been made about this argument about justice equaling mental health. And I think to really understand Socrates' position, we need to look on to the later claim that each part of the psyche has its own particular objects of desire. So it's not just a case of reason ruling your soul and being some kind of arid, passionless thing. Your reason has its own desires and passions for truth and reality. And Socrates' claim is that if that is what's governing your life, and if you're really motivated by that, why would you want to commit crimes of murder or rape or theft? What are the motivations of people who do commit those crimes? that they're motivated by greed or jealousy or the feeling that they've, their honour has been slighted or ambition, all the things which show that either your spirited part of your psyche is in control or your appetitive part is in control. If your reason is in control, says Socrates, you just won't want to commit those kind of crimes. It's just not where your, your head is. You're concentrated on this beautiful world of... of goodness and order and justice and beauty. What I'm not seeing in this argument is why somebody who is governed by their rational part, their reasoning part, in other words, somebody who is desirous of truth, who loves the truth, who is passionate about the truth, would never act unjustly. I'll give you an example. Um, I've received a letter from my library saying I must return these books. Now, I could lie... That would be the unjust thing to do, but it seems that it is, in this context, what a reasonable, rational person would do, somebody who loved the truth. So what would Socrates' response be to that? Well, I completely agree. I think one can come up with some counterexamples, and it's, it's quite fun to, to do that. Stealing library books is a very good one. However, I do think Socrates is onto something when he says, let's consider why people who commit common or garden crimes commit them, what's ruling in their psyche. And I think usually you will find that he is right. It's because either the appetitive uh, desires are ruling or the, the spirited desires which are focused on comp competition and honour and worldly success and so on. In other words, in most of the circumstances that we happen to find ourselves a desire for truth won't be compatible with acting unjustly. That's the idea. N not as, as Socrates conceives a desire for truth. I think we have to, it's really important to remember that for Socrates, as for all the Greeks, reason is not some kind of servant of the desires. It's not there simply to work out the means to satisfy desires that are presented to it. Reason is a very passionate entity for uh, philosophers like Plato, and it has its own particular desires and its own particular way of life. I think if we look at that conception of reason, um, rather than some of the conceptions of reason that can come later in Western philosophy, then we'll see that Socrates' argument has really quite a lot going for it. 
by this point in the Republic, Glaucon appears to be in complete agreement with Socrates. Are you? No, no, I'm not, because I think that there are some serious problems with this notion of uh, justice as mental health. There are clearly uh, political dangers. As soon as you start saying that somebody who is just is in a state of mental health, then, of course, the corollary is that a criminal is somebody who is mentally sick. And we've all seen where that uh, led, uh, for instance, Stalinist Russia. It sent political dissidents off to Siberia to have their brains rearranged. And they were told, you know, we're going to cure you. We're going to cure you of your dissident political beliefs. So that is, it is a dangerous path. I'm not denying that at all. However, I do think it's a very rich theory. If you look at what Glaucon was saying, he was talking about justice and injustice in terms of what people do, the, the actions that they commit. What Socrates is doing, and it's a very important move in Western philosophy, is to bring justice inside the, the individual actor, the individual agent, and saying it's about the state of your psyche. It's not just to do with the actions you commit or indeed the consequences of the actions of the com you commit. It's about who you are. And hence, it's not purely a legalistic conception of justice that Socrates wants to offer us. Uh, if we remember, Glaucon had really defined justice as this rather grubby legalistic compromise. It's not what anybody wanted, but it was a system of laws they came up with, so nobody got too badly hurt. And it was very much justice was simply obeying the law. Socrates has given us something, for better or worse, much richer and deeper than that to explore. Thank you very much. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.